part two of an extract from on the south lancashire dialect by thomas hayward esq f s a printed for the chetham society eighteen sixty one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the written works of collier with the exception of tim bobbin the dialogue in the lancashire dialect are multifarious and occupy their places in his printed works in the wake of this his best essay as heavy barges behind a steam-tug are kept moving by a force they are incapable of finding for themselves there are two tracts seventeen seventy one seventeen eighty one impugning whitaker's history of manchester seventeen seventy one seventeen seventy five the learning for these colonel townley found and the jocularity which is out of place was collier's share together they were not capable of measuring themselves with whitaker whose book will always remain a valuable contribution to our knowledge of the doings of the romans in britain satire was the bent of collier's mind and his observation being limited he borrowed his dislike of justices from hudibras and from his father's sufferings gathered an enmity to clerical pluralists to these as objects for castigation he added quack doctors conjurers and an old lady a busybody who dressed as a young person the satires on justices the blackbird and the goose a puerile and of the rest of the same class including the adventures of the french whig we have nothing to remark the shewed hill fight an imitation of scriptural phraseology applied to the first of the manchester corn riots seventh june seventeen fifty seven is exceedingly dull the great source of profit to collier was his etchings the print of the pluralist appears to have been the most popular the human passions delineated were first published in seventeen seventy three and again by robert collier in folio in eighteen o nine mr haywood of deansgate manchester having bought the original copper plates had them retouched and issued a new edition in eighteen fifty eight a quarto edition with coloured plates appeared in eighteen ten quote, the more gross caricatures are omitted and the plates are well executed there is much refinement and softness imparted to the quaint and unnatural figures of tim bobbin the london publisher states that being a lancashire man he always felt interested in the lancashire hogarth canon reigns but collier's best title to be remembered is in his work on the lancashire dialect it is the spontaneous production of a person singularly gifted with humour and the absence of any straining after effect makes the book what it is it was produced when his youthful and exuberant spirits were in their strongest flow he imagined he was introducing a new tongue to the public and to illustrate it framed a dialogue which was valued far more for its easy and natural wit than for its language an estimation such as sarmanazar for a while obtained from the public collier never enjoyed but his thomas and mary are proceeding through a third generation with unabated popularity his efforts were all directed to qualify himself to be a faithful expositor of the south lancashire dialect for this he studied saxon and affected to speak only in his mother tongue open speaker dialect 
when at newcastle he writes westall page 357 quote, i am obliged to be mum for i cannot understand one half of what they say i having forgot that my dialect may be as unintelligible to them End quote. the importance in collier's eyes of the words in tim bobbin in comparison with the dialogue is shown in a letter of may seventeen fifty seven to his printer harrop of manchester quote, i have been busy all this week in writing out the whole of the glossary which i judged absolutely necessary because i had six hundred and fifty new words if i may so call them that were to be inserted which i thought it was impossible for you to fix in their proper places so that i look upon this glossary printed by itself worth more than the whole of any other edition query can you go on with printing this part whilst i am preparing the other if so let me know and i'll send it in a few days for i think it will prove nearly half of the worth End quote. as regards the dialogue the glossary is perhaps both redundant and defective having some words not used and wanting several therein contained we regret collier never afterwards applied himself to completing this portion of the work and in this neglect he falsified the expectation held out in the last paragraph of the preface of seventeen fifty seven quote, if any of the author's countrymen will send any lancashire words phrases or sentences directed to j collier milnrow rochdale post paid they will be thankfully received but hopes they will take care to distinguish between pure lancashire and words corrupted from the english End quote a whimsical and impossible distinction a nice examination of the definitions would have led to useful emendations and as regard the south lancashire dialect a larger vocabulary might readily have been collected and that without doing any violence to the true limits of the speech notwithstanding this the glossary as it is left us is done by one who knew what he was about and of the great majority of words the true signification and hence the right origin is shown the glossary of seventeen forty six contains six hundred and twenty eight words before seventeen fifty five hundred words had been added and in seventeen fifty seven these were increased to two thousand and seventeen a number hardly exceeded in the later editions though a considerable addition to the dialogue was made but room was found for the new words by weeding the old ones and after all the changes since seventeen fifty seven are not extensive the title page of the first edition is as follows a view of the lancashire dialect by way of dialogue between thomas a williams a margets a rofs and mary a dicks a thomas a peggies to which is added a glossary of all the lancashire words and phrases therein used by tim bobbin open spakerth dialect our ass wood were i ere this wark glure at money a book manchester sold by r whitworth bookseller and sold also by mr meadows at the angel in cornhill london mr higginson warrington mr schofield rochdale mr milner halifax <coughs> wakefield <coughs> leeds mr wilkinson printer rippenden and mr william taylor oldham the date of seventeen forty six is commonly assigned to this edition because in that year the book is noticed in the gentleman's magazine volume sixteen pages five hundred and twenty seven to eight and in the british magazine pages two hundred and sixty eight to two hundred and seventy two 
437 to 439. The dialogue and the glossary occupy the work, the former extending to 32 duodecimo pages. There are seven incidents in this first appearance of Tim Bobbin. 1. The calf killed by the horse. 2. The attempt to sell the dog. 3. The fall into the water. 4. The adventures at the Littleborough Tavern. 5. The second offering the dog for sale. 6. The interview with the master. 7. The concealment in the barn and haymow. In the first, the introduction and conclusion of the story was subsequently elongated. In the second, the narrative is as it now stands, with the rumour that, quote, who justices all this did th most of thwark, end quote. It is remarkable that the excessive civility with which the offer of the dog for sale is met by those who have no intention of buying it, even to the assenting to the clown's lie that his cur was of a valuable and rare breed, should be found here. For it must be taken from Collier's own experience in the book, picture and print hawking life which he followed, but which in 1746 we should have imagined to be anticipated. The blackbird and his pictures were, it seems, already objects of traffic. That the humour of these civil refusals qualified in his mind the disappointment they conveyed is evident, and thus making them otherwise turn to gold was ingenious. He afterwards terms his copies of Tim Bobbin Bandyhewitts. The name was first transferred to the pirated editions as not being of the true breed. The extension of the denomination to those which the author issued is not so intelligible. We may suppose the imagination of the double falsehood of the vendor and of those he wished to be purchasers, in the case of the dog, greatly diverted Collier. He has it twice in the dialogue, and long bore it in mind in his letters. The ducking in the brook and the wandering afterwards are told differently in the first edition to that of 1757, but the most entire variation is the adventures at Littleborough. The Falcon Inn at this place, which is adjacent to Milnrow and situated at the foot of Blackstone Edge, was in Collier's later days kept by a boon companion of his named Hill. This house was the constant resort of our chapman of his own wares, who here, with hardly less authority than in his own village, assumed to direct the conviviality of horse and foot passengers, pack-horsemen, and latterly of travellers by stage-coaches, and amidst a boisterous merriment which he promoted, sold his works. In 1746 the frightened lad has no place, and instead of at once bursting upon the rude frequenters of the tavern, we have a description of two landladies, and the whole scene of violence between the fau sowlucht fella and Mezelface is wanting. This last has the appearance of something that occurred in the presence of Collier. The remaining three parts of Tim Bobbin, although varying somewhat in the details, are in 1746 not essentially different from the dialogue as it at present stands. We have had no opportunity of seeing an addition between the first 1746 and the 6th 1757 and can only gather the history of the book during that period incidentally mr townley says quote, the rapid sale of that second edition soon brought forth two or three pirated editions which made the honest unsuspecting owner exclaim with great vehemence that he did not believe there was one honest printer in lancashire 
and afterwards to lash some of the most culpable of those insidious offenders with his keen and sarcastic pen the numbering of the editions we suspect confounded the authorised and the pirated publications thus the fourth edition which the monthly review got hold of is one in which collier is defrauded the title as set forth in the review volume four page one hundred and fifty six seventeen fifty and this article is referred to in a note in the authorised copies of tim bobbin is curtailed and we give it from mr rondo's manuscript there is no date but it must have been printed about seventeen fifty Quote, a view of the lancashire dialect etc to which is prefixed a dialogue between the author and his pamphlet by tim bobbin fellow of the sisyphian society of dutch loom weavers the fourth edition corrected and improved with an edition of above five hundred lancashire words not in the first impression octodecimo thirty-two pages exclusive of glossary printed for j robinson london and w stewart wigan end quote. the london edition the fourth is duodecimo printed for j robinson price sixpence here we gather two things that the cank between the author and his book was printed in seventeen fifty and that the piratical booksellers reprinted this record of their own knavishness the prologue has two parts firstly an attack on the booksellers mentioned and secondly a bantering with the reviewers the attempt by satire and remonstrance to appropriate to himself the profit of his work on the dialect was maintained by collier through a great part of his life he inserts at the end of the edition of seventeen fifty seven a notice that quote, the edition of this pamphlet printed for stuart of preston and wigan question mark and robinson of the golden lion london and that of schofield of middlewich the two last lately published are all spurious rob the author and impose on the public end quote. he speaks in the earlier editions of quote, stuart and finch those bellwethers and hitch hawes and williamson a their sheepish followers end quote. these names are varied and more than once the same bookseller occurs in two towns those who advertise the spurious copies are also denounced as his first publisher whitworth so long known in the history of the manchester press and whom tim bobbin exchanged for harrop a still more enduring name in the printing annals of the same town adams of chester williamson of liverpool then heir of warrington the greatest of our old south lancashire printers and others are either privately or publicly reprobated for interfering with his copyrights footnote through long years this war with the piratical booksellers was waged and in various ways Quote, i did berm up some rhymes on top on sime pow before stuart's shop a wiggin we have also the etching and lines on the fratres in marlow in the human passions delineated these attacks by collier were dreaded by some of his antagonists there is a deprecatory letter manchester first august seventeen fifty seven from whitworth whose offence only appears to be admitting an advertisement of the pirated books into his newspaper Quote, indeed if i had known of either finch or schofield printing your pamphlet i should have dissuaded them from doing it but i really believe harrop or any other printer 
and less concerned in point of interest, would have done what I did. End quote. End of footnote. Notwithstanding, he appears to the last to have clung to his desultory method of guiding the sale of the book. A London publisher thus writes to him, quote, Mr. Collier, I write to you because I know it is not in your power to prevent the dirty dogs of your neighbourhood from selling the pamphlet, but I think I could push and make some advantage of it if it was mine. Now I take it for granted that you have not one hundred left. If so, I will give you twenty pound for the copyright, plates, etc., and will send you hereafter any number you may want at ninepence each. I am your obedient servant, Thomas Lowndes, Fleet Street, London, October 2nd, 1773. I don't think that you would find a Manchester bookseller that would take five hundred, if at price of paper and print. End quote. The commencement of the cank will have made the reader familiar with Tim Bobbin's wrongs. They are set forth in the, quote, plaguey rhymes, end quote, affixed on the book's own suggestion, quote, hath never me cap a plain print hund, at each body may see em, ches where he come, end quote. Then there is Tim Bobbin's surprise to find his own book by his side, quote, Woe's tat, ye owd friend, I thout thou'd been jauntin' it like Agermad with those foster favours o' thine, Stuart, end quote etc. The second part of the cank is occupied with the reviewers. The reference by Tim Bobbin to the monthly review of December 1750. Footnote. There is another favourable mention of Tim Bobbin in the monthly review, 1776, volume 55, page 231. End footnote. Does not altogether explain the allusion he has made to their opinions. And though he gives no other authority, we think his labours were elsewhere noticed. The dialogue is thus lauded, quote, This is a masterpiece of the kind. The stories in it are truly humorous and exhibit the character of a clown in pure nature, such as a simple country fellow really is, who is quite unacquainted with the world, of which he has seen no more than a very few miles round the cottage or farm he was bred in, and perhaps had never conversed familiarly with more than six persons and those not a bit more intelligent than himself. End quote. This is not a very discriminating criticism, for the contracted rage of Thomas's visible horizon did not prevent him from being both an unscrupulous and cunning fellow. On this Tim Bobbin remarks, quote, For the gluant swore at me, turnt me round like a tailor, when he mazes folk, chucked me under the chin, gam me a honey butter cake. End quote. So far the laudatory commentators are duly recognised, but what follows must have some other origin than the passage quoted. Quote, and seed upnly, they ne'er see an awkward look, a queer chap, and a peckled jump, end quote, the marble paper binding, quote, gee better of their life, end quote. The cank had evidently its composition at two periods. Tim Bobbin assigns the review of 1750 as the cause of the second part, but that review proves the pre-existence of a dialogue between the author and his pamphlet, which was probably occupied in defending the copyright. Footnote. In 1751, Collier sent 50 copies of his, quote, Bandyhewitts, Tim Bobbin, to Worcester for sale, and this was during his service at Kebroid, page 267. End of footnote. 
the addition of seventeen fifty seven was forced upon collier from the thorough occupation of the ground by the pirated copies of his work strangers to our eat they rob poor timmy eneth oppen leet we have before us several letters on this subject and especially from harrop bearing on his fellow manchester printer and collier's quondam publisher whitworth this edition is important in the history of the book the title is as follows quote, a view of the lancashire dialect by way of dialogue between thomas etc as in the first edition showing in that speech the comical adventure and misfortunes of a lancashire clown to which is prefixed by way of preface a dialogue between the author and his pamphlet with a few observations for the better pronunciation of the dialect with a glossary of all the lancashire words and phrases therein used by tim bobbin fellow of the sisyphian society of dutch loom weavers and an old adept of the dialect end quote. the motto of the first edition follows quote, the sixth edition in which will be several alterations and new adventures and above eight hundred lancashire words that never were in any of the five first impressions manchester printed and sold by joseph harrop and by all the booksellers throughout england and wales seventeen fifty seven footnote this book is in mr rondo's collection end footnote this is a duodecimo in quote, a peckled jump end quote. there is a rude etching of the speakers with quote, tim bob imv et sculp end quote. and yet we prefer it to the later print by the artist on the same subject the observations are more brief and unimportant than those prefixed by watson to his halifax glossary printed in mr hunter's hallamshire vocabulary they have the same object but collier could hardly have seen watson's preface which was printed in seventeen seventy five the connection of collier with halifax and his repeated visits to the place and the share its inhabitants occupy in his subscription lists cannot be laid out of our consideration in weighing the purity of his exposition of the south lancashire dialect in seventeen sixty seven with his words we observe he sends two histories of halifax at tenpence each to be disposed of by mr wilson lancaster did he write this history the belief is he had received the copies of this book in exchange for his own works and so sold them to pay himself the anticipation of the deterioration of the dialect and the invitation to supply the author with words which in subsequent editions are omitted close the observations the cank or prologue follows it is complete in its two parts as in the latest copies the additions to the dialogue are numerous the two most salient insertions being quote, the te and thou between one and two and the recasting the incidents at littleborough with the introduction of the tavern fracas the assigning a third sweetheart to the clown in sarah the master's daughter is retained from the first edition it may be wise to exaggerate the importance of the hero of a tale but there is an improbability in the infatuation of a young person in this woman's position being so desperately in love with her father's servant as to assist in hiding him then stealing food for his support and lastly quote, while er cadji me wem who told me who lippen to her father were turned strackling end quote. 
the little episode of the impeachment of the chastity of quote, Sarah Aruchets, quote, his real love, for there are two distinct Sarahs, might have lighted up the narrative by its pathos. But Collier used no art in this book, and we must console ourselves by remembering that in his pictorial efforts, where he did attempt art, he proved that he had not the ars celare artem, and sank into the burlesque. The next important edition of Tim Bobbin is in 1763. It is published by Harrop of Manchester in duodecimo and octodecimo, and is denominated, quote, Tim Bobbin's Toy Shop, Opened, or His Whimsical Amusements, Containing, end quote, and the title mentions the Lancashire dialect without alluding to additions of any kind, quote, The Blackbird, The Goose, The Prickshaw Witch, The Queen of the Booth, with an explanatory letter, together with several other humorous epistles, epitaphs, etc., in prose and rhyme. Also some original Lancashire, Scotch, and other letters never before published, embellished with copper plates, designed by the author, and engraved by Mr. Barlow of Bolton. The horse-stealing adventure we believe to be first inserted in this edition between five and six, and thus the nine incidents of the dialogue were completed. Collier felt towards justices as Bunyan did to juries, and could not deny himself the gratification of attacking them. In this case, however, the magistrate, Mr. Robert Enswistle, senior barrister of Foxholes near Rochdale, Ob. 1778, et 86, who could speak the dialect, does his duty. Not so the clerk, Mr. Simon Dearden of the Orchard, who is misrepresented, he having been really an honest person. The Rochdale Pilot, June 18th and September 10th, 1857. The Toy Shop, long figures in Collier's accounts, as an edition of his works which he offered for sale. Quote, 1764, Seven Toy Shops, Mr. Townson, Curate of Mosley. End quote. Quote, 1767, Mr. Edwards, Halifax. End quote. A name not unknown in the bibliographical world. Quote, Ten toy shops, seven plates, fifteen pence, twelve and sixpence, three lank dialects, single, five pence, one and threepence, six plans of the colder, fourpence halfpenny, two and threepence, etc. End quote. Is this one of Collier's books? Quote, Mr. Wilson, Lancaster, twenty-four toy shops and two histories of Halifax, tenpence. End quote. In 1776, Quote, Mr. Aspinall, Burnley, twelve Lord's Prayers at two shillings each, very small. End quote. Here calligraphy is made to assist in the work of money-getting. In the midst of these memoranda and accounts we find, quote, 1770, August 22nd, I weighed 167 pound, my wife weighed 201 pound. End quote. Throughout these editions, we may observe that to 1757 Collier seems to have lent on the dialect as giving the value to his book. Between 1746 and 1757 he extended the dialogue, dealing carefully with the words used. Just now is changed to meet now, before to afore. One can but do what he can do, with a nicer appreciation of the true force of can is rendered one can but what he can do. On went as greedily as could be athward, 
is replaced by on winter graith thus showing graithly to be the source of both words he speaks of rain falling in collockfuls and of putting his clean shirt on quote, a slifterith barn after i'd sladst and pooed off ettercrops out on't under the yeasing these are omitted in seventeen fifty seven and collock and slanst never found their way into the glossary quote, for it chops so dark o'er at onst is not repeated ad nother bitten nor supped is corrected into ad nother bit nor soap he threw the batteril with such a burr is left out but the last word is transferred to express the gush of a bad smell that hodgepodge come in me face with sich a burr the distinction is perhaps maintainable Bayer tempestus icelandic boer swedish the wind also boria surgere choinge in seventeen forty six is swap in seventeen fifty seven a punch a purr thin than in with one exception which is still in the book words are violently introduced in order to be shown Quote, a fine fattish gentleman is made a fine fattish throddy gentleman and a fattish felly is a fattish dowing felly there is a passage in the fracas with the master seventeen forty six which we regret is afterwards left out Quote, i see to wear when i heard the foyer port rick and went and hood me if barn End quote. the tup mutton tough as wit leather thunk thong only occurs in seventeen forty six between the first and sixth editions there is a considerable emendation of vowel sounds eight out is converted into out hour hour to hour dame to dame seat to sate why to war great to great near to newer ha to how sconce to scorns oni to oni these are merely a few examples of Collier's care of the dialect in the earlier editions. Footnote. Mr. Rondo has collected the titles of twenty editions of Tim Bobbin, with dates since 1786, and of seven of which the publisher's names justify the conjecture that they belong to the same period. The work takes so many shapes, and finds its way into our cottages and markets so incessantly, that this list by no means exhausts the catalogue of the quantity printed there are here five editions since eighteen fifty we observe the rochdale edition of eighteen nineteen advertised for by an anxious purchaser and a copy of this valuable for the original letters it contains sold for five pounds the imitations have been few and unsuccessful a political tract by mr thomas walker calling himself tim bobbin the second was printed in eighteen hundred and one under the title of plebeian politics and borne up by the interest of its subject matter it reached two editions the orthopy is that of south lancashire but otherwise the archaic words are few and the phraseology little differing from common english in eighteen nineteen an author in ashton underline attempted to add a second and third parts to tim bobbin manchester wilson he apologizes for varying in his spelling from tim bobbin and eludes giving a glossary by referring to colliers the book is extraordinarily coarse 
the dialogue void of pleasantry and the incidents improbable and disgusting but there are peculiar to the work a number of words which are not common and which lead us to regret the want of a glossary we will enumerate a few bookth daking and dilting huant frustling paling in the sense of running ribuantfelly a great norgan now and a felly and the cloggings the add on were a burn poma a cliver yam at a year i mount from grief to rage then cliver completely neckling axum bits of quirks nubbly cosy frabbeth ported etc etc the vowel sounds as the author admits are not those of south lancashire and hardly of hallamshire ow is almost dispensed with na stands for now car for cow oot for out hoppen for oppen clam for clomb etc and we demur to the meanings assigned to common words as farrantly be burr buoyant etc tim bobbin's ghost by mr george richardson haywood manchester eighteen fifty contains poems to tim bobbin's memory by bamford and shaw and a long poem of fifty-two stanzas the ghost of tim bobbin with some verses by riddings and rogerson the whole are in the south lancashire tongue End of footnote. in seventeen sixty three he trusted to etchings and to the greater ponderosity of his book by the addition of his other writings the later copies of tim bobbin are taken from that of seventeen seventy five and the ten etchings it contained were by retouching long preserved that the staple of the publication the dialogue was not subjected to the author's senile corrections is a matter of congratulation for even in his best days collier has shown in his paintings how capable he was of deforming his own conceptions and the recasting the natural expression of genius has never been successful the family shakespeare the new robinson crusoe and the revised edition of pilgrim's progress a sorry trash from seventeen eighty six to the present day tim bobbin has maintained itself in the public estimation and if the inferior works of its author are to be found side by side with it the curiosity as to the writer is the best explanation of their vitality we are far from thinking that our brief notice has exhausted either what ought to be known or may be gathered as to collier and his essays but we have made a first attempt to recover the history of both and in so doing are especially following out the design for which the chetham society was instituted for truly to leave unnoticed the most popular of our native writers would be an unjustifiable negligence even though our researches dispel the illusion that wisdom and cleverness are necessarily allied and that a well-regulated mind is essential to the production of a good book it is only now left us to acknowledge the obligations which have accumulated upon us in writing the latter part of this essay we are indebted to mr canon rains for the larger share of the materials enabling us to treat of collier's life some of these we have marked by the letter r but the greater portion are not so to be recognised the original letters and information with which we have thus been supplied induced us to undertake writing this biography and we have throughout felt it would have been better had it been left in the hands of one so much more capable of doing it justice 
and so intimately acquainted with the subject as Mr. Cannon Rains. Mr. Rondo of Salford, having made a collection of the editions of Tim Bobbin, with a catalogue of those he has seen, as well as those he possesses, and which, though perhaps the fullest, is by no means a perfect list, has kindly placed them at the service of the Chetham Society. They have been of the greatest use, and especially the transcript of the first edition, from the Adlington Tracts, Portico Library, Manchester. We have further to acknowledge the valuable assistance of our excellent President, James Crossley, Esquire, and of our Secretary, William Langton, Esquire, and to thank John Harland, Esquire, for the loan of the Tim Bobbin of 1819, which goes under the name of Corrie's, or Westall's edition, and contains letters and other original information not otherwise procurable, and has become a book rare and much sought after. End of extract from on the South Lancashire dialect by Thomas Haywood.